Hello and welcome to On Purpose. The audio subscription service for the chiropractic profession. I'm Dr. Patrick Gentempo, and with me as always is Dr. Christopher Kent, and this is our August 2020 politics program. All right, well, Dr. Kent, we live in unprecedented times, so I think we're going to do something a little unprecedented in politics. Uh, for this month, and, and very necessarily so, uh, we brought in uh, Dr. Matt McCoy, who is your co-founder in the Foundation for uh, Vertebral Subluxation Research, amongst other things, and we needed to have a conversation around this this really crazy and confusing world relative to COVID, what it means to chiropractors, the role of chiropractic in the immune system, the regulatory things that are going on facing chiropractors, and, and literally need to just have an encompassing conversation to sort it all out and, and hopefully help bring some clarity and some context for the on-purpose listeners. So uh, you know, rather than review articles this month, I believe we needed people to eavesdrop on a conversation that will serve them well. So with that, uh, for all you listening right now, uh, dive into this very special and very important conversation. Hello, everybody. We have with us Dr. Matthew McCoy, and um, we're about to have a conversation that I think is really, really important that's going to be somewhat wide-ranging. Uh, chiropractic and chiropractic practice in the world of COVID um, is perplexing at best, meaning how to practice, what the regulations are, the bearings and you know, their edicts, um, as well as kind of the bigger picture on what's going on in healthcare and how people are, how can I put it, um, you know, wh what their orientation is. I mean, I just got off a conversation with my accountant <laughs> and you know, he, you know, his whole perspective on COVID and, and what to do in the COVID world. And you know, every conversation you have, no matter who it is, is, is leading to this and this world that we're in and, and where it's going. And you know, there's, um, how can I put it, uh, confusion that is unprecedented, <laughs> uh, not only in the mind of the chiropractor and practice and what they could, could, can and can't do or should and shouldn't do, and then, of course, the wider issues as far as just how, how to get context on all this. So uh, Matt has, uh, I guess, been busy the last few months, haven't you, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> That's putting it mildly, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Cairo Futures and, your, and what it does in your activities there first so that people just understand why you've been busy the last few months. And then let's dig into some of your thinking around it. Sure. So I think a lot of the listeners know I run a malpractice insurance program, myself and my partner, Anthony Carino. We've been uh, doing this for a little over 10 years now. And, you know, obviously we insure a lot of chiropractors who are more focused on subluxation, wellness, and, and a vitalistic type of practice. So, you know, these are the kind of people we attract. Um and, you know, we were talking before we went live that we started this company 10 years ago. And, you know, we sort of put together a great team of people that run the program with us and, and for us. We have a whole administrative side in Arizona that, that runs things for us and binds the policies and all that sort of thing. And then Tony and I handle 
you know, all the risk management stuff and marketing and promotion and speaking and continuing ed and that type of stuff. Um, so in the past 10 years, certainly we've been busy building this company uh, and things have been great. And then suddenly, you know, COVID hit <laughs> and uh, it hasn't been the same since. You know, if I compare the amount of time I worked in the past three months on just, you know, this one thing that I do, you know, it doesn't compare to the past 10 years. It's just been unbelievable. Um, you know, I was looking at uh, right before the call, the last time we spoke was in March. I think it was March 19th. And that was sort of right as the feces was, were hitting the fan, as Dr. Kent likes to say. Um and in that three, you know, three month period of time, it's just been uh, unbelievable in terms of how this whole thing has impacted chiropractors and the chiropractic community. And, and even before we go into it further, I, I just want to say to everybody that's out there listening, and, and we ensure a lot on purpose listeners, um, that, you know, I really feel for chiropractors that have, you know, for the past several months been having to go into their office uh, and dealing with this almost like a war zone and on a battlefield, you know, having to wear masks and the cleaning and the, the questioning and the rules, the regulations, the policies and everything else. Um, you know, and I think what people don't necessarily realize is they get so bogged down in, in their neck of the woods is they don't realize that this is happening in 50 states, never mind all the other countries. But from a malpractice perspective, you know, we're dealing with 50 states, 50 different governors, 50 different orders from those governors. And, you know, then as time went on, some of the counties and cities and towns within those states started making different rules and regulations apart from their governors. And, you know, you have the war going on between the governors and the counties and the cities. And, you know, so it, it went beyond even trying to keep track of 50 states. Now it's literally impossible to keep track of, uh, you know, what specific county and what specific state is, you know, uh, requiring a doctor to do or anybody to do for that matter. Uh, so it's been uh, quite a wild ride, you know. Um, and part of it for me, you know, it's personal for me in the sense that I'm very lucky. And my wife, Pam, and I, Pam's a chiropractor, you guys know. And we're really lucky. And, and almost, uh, you know, every day, it goes by that we don't sit at night and, and, and thank God how lucky we are because of where we live. You know, we live in a very uh, unique area in North Georgia, uh, in a county where, you know, they don't really buy into all of this stuff too much. So the rules and regulations are pretty, you know, uh, are reasonable if that's a word that could be used for this, uh, you know, nobody is out there in public's mask shaming people. You know, you can go into restaurants and supermarkets and stores without masks and nobody cares. And if you're wearing them, nobody cares. Uh, you know, but contrast that with places like New York and California and Colorado, you know, it's, it's crazy town. So, uh, just really want to stress to the chiropractors out there, certainly that I understand what you're going through because I'm seeing it from chiropractors in 50 states. Uh, and, and I just, I can't imagine having to go into an office every day, you know, and practicing in that kind of environment. And it really takes a lot of dedication from a chiropractor to do this. 
Well, that's uh, uh, a great uh, preamble. You know, so there's so many places to go with this, right? I, I think the first thing that probably is most important for chiropractors um, is looking at how the you know, board complaints are coming in and what are the what are maybe the the critical mistakes that some people are making in practice right now that make them vulnerable to uh, some type of regulatory action? Yeah, so you know, right out of the gate, um, and and I don't remember if we talked about this in March when when all this was happening. I don't I don't remember you know how much it hit the fan at that point in terms of board complaints and all of that. Um, but as you know, right right as COVID hit the World Federation of Chiropractic and the American Chiropractic Association uh, put out that document from the WFC about immunity in chiropractic, uh, basically saying that, you know, there's there's no connection. Uh, chiropractic doesn't boost immunity. It doesn't help immunity. And there's no credible evidence and all those other weasel words that, you know, were being thrown out. And then, you know, Parker uh, University picked it up and the president there, Bill Morgan, picked up on it and had that video with his research director saying there's no credible evidence and threatening chiropractors that they were going to be, quote unquote, under the hand of the law if they address this stuff in their marketing and so forth. And so as a result of that, uh, oh, and then, of course, the other thing was you had all these trolls that support the WFC and support the ACA, the subluxation deniers, who, who then systematically put together a process to train other chiropractors of, you know, like mind, of their mind, to go to chiropractors' websites and go to their Facebook pages and Twitter and find where they were sent, making any type of immunity claims and then turn them into the board. I mean, they went through the whole thing process and telling them exactly what to do, how to file the complaint, how to word the complaint, gave them links to board addresses and so forth. And this happened not just in the States, it happened in Canada and, and other countries. Wait, 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 uh, Matt, I got inter to interrupt you. You know this for a fact. Absolutely. Yes, we I have. You should. I have a whole folder of screenshots and emails and I, I, you know, we're talking hundreds. They're not necessarily concealing this. They're they're proselytizing. They're trying to get others to do it. And uh, some of the but more wait, sophisticated wait, wait. ones even have a software program looking for keywords like subluxation, immunity and so forth. So they can run this bot through a, a list of chiropractic licensees and streamline the process. Right. So, but, but you know, this is almost unimaginable in my mind. This is a chiropractic, so-called chiropractic organization, and uh, who's literally uh, going through its own profession to try to find people who are uh, you know, perhaps using certain language that they disagree with on their website and turning them into their regulator regulators. Right. So as compared to trying to defend them, <laughs> they're, right. they're, they're trying to get them in trouble. Right. Whole, and, so, and it, yeah, go, go. So, so, then, yeah. so then at the end of that whole sausage making <laughs> assembly line, right, then you have uh, the actual complaints come tr through. So, so I'm watching this unfold, you know, Tony and I, my partner in Chiro Futures, you know, we're watching this unfold in real time. Uh, 
We're watching the WSC put out their stuff. We're watching the ACA put out their stuff. Then we're watching the trolls uh, that support the WSC and the ACA uh, go on to social media, train other chiropractors on how to file the complaints using those documents and using those statements from those organizations. And then, you know, you kind of wait a few beats and then you start seeing the complaints come in from the regulatory boards. Well, many um, of our people may not know that Cairo Futures provides coverage for board actions. Uh, so that's that's one reason why you're so busy. Right. Well, and we also provide the best board coverage as well um, compared to the other programs. But um, so so we're watching this thing unfold in real time. And, you know, and these are real chiropractors who are out there, you know, providing care for their patients in the midst of a pandemic. And now they have a regulatory board coming after them, telling them to cease and desist. And by the way, it wasn't just regulatory boards. We had complaints from the Federal Trade Commission that uh, sent letters to chiropractors. We had attorney generals in various states that sent uh, letters, uh, cease and desist letters to chiropractors. Um, And, you know, obviously, you know, we review all these complaints and we look at what these chiropractors are claiming and so forth. And You know, I'm not going to say that all of them, you know, there wasn't an issue with all of them. There was some that were like, you know, yeah, I wouldn't say that. But the majority of these, it was just the use of words like boost or enhance or help or, you know, protect yourself, that type of thing in terms of chiropractic's role in the immunity, in, in immune function. We saw maybe two out of all of these complaints and all of these issues that we saw where the chiropractors said something stupid like, you know, we can help with COVID or we can cure you of COVID or if you get adjusted, it'll protect you from COVID or something along those lines. Uh, But that I'm talking, those were maybe three or four that were like that. The rest of them were really innocuous statements that chiropractors say and use all the time But as soon as COVID hit, all of a sudden that was under a microscope. And because of what these trade organizations did and put out there in the documents, that gave the regulatory boards, which we know are controlled by, you know, the medically oriented subluxation denying faction of the profession, that gave them the ammunition they needed then to go after these chiropractors because now they had a document. And they had two trade organizations, one that purports to represent chiropractors around the world and the other one that represents chiropractors in the United States. Uh, And they had those statements and those organizations to then go after these chiropractors. And then the chiropractors obviously have to defend themselves against that. Yeah, you know, it's I'm, I'm literally I mean, it's 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 an unspeakable evil that. Uh, you know, these that chiro- chiropractors, the dollars uh, from the chiropractic profession are being put into organizations that are going out and trying to hurt chiropractors. Well, yeah. and keep something else in mind, too, here. Right. So as this was happening, right, chiropractors were being either told to or forced to shut down. Like if you look at states like Kentucky, Colorado, uh, places in California, New York, chiropractors had to shut down, like completely close their offices. Now, some defied those and tried to stay open and stay under the radar. Some got caught, some didn't. 
Um, but chiropractors practicing in a subluxation, wellness, salutogenic, vitalistic sort of model, they felt it was a responsibility for them to be out there and taking care of people because they understood the power of chiropractic. They understood the power of what they could provide mm -hmm. to people. Now you take the flip side of the profession though, and you take the people that are focused on musculoskeletal only chiropractic doesn't help anything else. Subluxations don't exist and all of that nonsense. Well, they shut their practices down. And they were pissed at the chiropractors that stayed open, obviously, because where are their patients going, right? right? Their patients may end up in those other chiropractors' offices. So they're pissed for that reason. They're also pissed just because, you know, they don't believe in it to begin with. And now they have all this free time on their hands. So that's where all of this animosity, that's where all this nonsense came from, from those chiropractors who were basically pissed off and jealous at the chiropractors that tried to stay open. And, and, you know, I, I saluted those chiropractors who basically said that we're an essential need right now right. and we're showing up in our offices. Uh, we're not shutting down. Um, I just came off of one of our um, UAC weekends, the, the, you know, the high end chiropractic mastermind. And most of the chiropractors in the rooms practices were actually increased. I mean, setting records as far as their, you know, their, their patient volume and services, because there is a pent-up demand. People are looking, and if you show up and you're there, but imagine now you're stepping up saying, now it's more important than ever that you get your adjustments. But then you have uh, you know, literally these trolls out there who are trained and, and, uh, and organized by our own profession to come out and try to attack you for trying to take better care of people in their, in their greatest time of need. Uh, you know, it's 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 really vile. Uh, I mean, it's an inco it's incomprehensibly vile. I also I heard you say in the beginning, and I just want to verify this because I didn't know about this and probably should have. But I didn't realize Parker University took a position that there's no credible evidence supporting the role of chiropractic and helping with immunity. That yeah, literally almost the exact words from their director of research. Yes. Yeah, it's on video. We have the video. Jeez. I mean, and, and oh, and by the way, after yeah. I reported on that, right, so I wrote an article, published that, I got a cease and desist letter from Parker University threatening to sue me if I didn't remove the article and stop saying all this stuff. Uh, so obviously, you know, my, uh, my attorney contacted them and reminded them of freedom of speech. And I was going to say, you <laughs> have a constitution. First <laughs> well, I mean, um, it's, it's not being done covertly. They're trying to disseminate this stuff as broadly as possible. Uh, right. So it's not like they're hiding it. Uh, they just didn't like being called out. But I was going to say, cease and desist from what? Uh, repeating what they already published? Correct. <laughs> and yeah. then having an opinion about it? Yeah. Well, that and then, the, you know, because that and that whole conversation about this, even beyond me and what I said about it, had spilled over into Facebook onto Bill Morgan's Facebook, you know, his personal Facebook page. And he was getting attacked by people, you know, about it. And of course, he was getting much more support for it, which was the scariest part of it was how many people 
Uh, we're talking hundreds of comments about people that were supporting what he was saying and doing. And, you know, so this whole big argument broke out. And so it was uh, it had to do with comments on the Facebook page, comments that we published in articles uh, and all of this. Uh, and, you know, without getting into the details, because I don't want to put names to the other people he went after because, you know, th they may not want that out there. But once I told him to go pound sand, yep. uh, then he went after other people that I'm involved with and threatened them, even though they had nothing to do with it. Wow. <laughs> and did the same thing. Basically said, you know, you need to tell him to shut up. And, you know, luckily their response was, well, you know, basically the same, reminding them of the Constitution, freedom of speech and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, this is, and, and that's what's concerning about this whole thing is just how mainstream in chiropractic this is. And, and that I don't think people realize, you know, listen, the three of us, we've been talking about the cartel in chiropractic since, uh, you know, the the 90s. <laughs> so yeah. none of this is new to us. And, and most of it's not new to a lot of on purpose listeners that have been around for a while. But, you know, I think that's part of the problem is people just don't realize how much of the profession is controlled by the subluxation denying aspect of the profession. I mean, they run the show. There's no question about this at this point. No, I mean, you'd, ha you'd have to be so ignorant to deny it at this point. Um, but the problem with even that conversation is when you look at what's going on with the pandemic and COVID, uh, you know, you can basically at this point, it seems to me, say anything you want, whether it's true or not, and get away with it. Amazing. Well, I was thinking of, uh, as one of my assignments, uh, offering students the opportunity to identify contradictions coming from Dr. Fauci, the CDC, uh, <laughs> the uh, WHO, and so forth, and they'd get one point for each. But the problem is I've only got 100 points to offer. <laughs> <laughs> well, go and get extra credit. Uh, you know, it's and, – and, and, you know, I, I'm actually working on a uh, – a blog uh, somewhat relative to this uh, this subject, the, the theme being that um, that there's a difference between science and a scientist, <laughs> uh, because I, I hear all these people constantly promulgating, oh, I follow the science, I follow the science, and I'm like, well, you're following a scientist, uh, and uh, that doesn't mean that suddenly it's objective, it's factual, it's known, because these right. scientists all disagree with each other. Well, it's, uh, all, yeah. it's all based on a house of cards. It began with a flawed assumption that was pumped into a computer model that spat out scary, astounding stuff. Um, and then they started to look at what little data they could obtain. Uh, and there's a problem in that, uh, you know, there were no consistently agreed upon operational definitions, diagnostic criteria, and so forth. Then the mantra became test, test, test. And they found out that the tests were of very limited value. Um, you know, the one that's used in the White House, for example, to protect the president is uh, said to miss 38 percent potentially of positive cases. So, you know, even if you had a great test, let's say the sensitivity and specificity were 99. Uh, when you look at large numbers, when you look at millions, you see incredible numbers of people that are getting bad results. 
and the tests aren't nearly that good. So uh, then we've got that layer. Then we've got the representation that's being made that everything will be fine when a vaccine hits the streets. And yeah. now we're seeing some incredibly weird stuff going on there. Someone finally woke up and said, in effect, you know, if we release a vaccine and it's got a bad side effects profile, this is going to undermine confidence in vaccines generally. So what to do? Um, and they've come up with uh, suggestions that are some are just downright bizarre. Uh, I've got one paper saying that we should uh, administer MMR vaccine because, you know, basically anything that uh, gives the immune system a kick in the butt is going to potentially be nice. Uh, then we've got, even Dr. Fauci said this at one time, we got to be careful because the coronavirus uh, virus vaccines that have been tested in animals for other conditions like SARS and MERS and so forth have been shown to make things worse. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you've got a horrible side effects profile and you're potentially making those infected worse, you know, not, not a practice builder. And, uh, you know, they're already whining about uh, kids not getting their vaccines because of COVID. And they're saying, well, you know, we're really between a rock and a hard place now uh, in that we've been saying that we've got to have a vaccine to save the world. And um, it's not looking so great right now. Well, not only that, but, you know, you, 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 we know what the testing ground is going to end up being for this. If you, because certainly the three of us have talked in the past about, you know, how they test vaccines uh, on vulnerable populations because, you know, they, they don't know any better and informed consent is questionable and all that kind of stuff. And if, if you remember back when the White House put out its opening plans, like after the 15 days, whatever it was to control the spread was over. And then they announced, you know, how they were going to open up. Well, buried in that PowerPoint, buried in those guidelines in there was a slide and it had to do with testing. And, and this was when they didn't, you know, they didn't have tests. They didn't know how they were going to get tests to all the people. You know, all that argument was going on several months ago. And what they decided to do with the testing was that they were going to focus the testing on vulnerable populations. And those vulnerable populations included the elderly, especially people in nursing homes, and included um, uh, people in, and pay close attention to this, in depressed socioeconomic in the depressed socioeconomic status, so poor people. And then think about, you know, the minorities that represent, you know, people in lower socioeconomic status in this country. Um, and so that's what the testing was going to focus on. And now you, and there were a couple of other areas that were, that were mentioned with testing that were also vulnerable populations. And now fast forward to present day, and they're talking about the same thing relative to vaccines. So they're going to give vaccines. Oh, the other one for testing was the military. So they're going to give vaccines. To, the first people to get them are going to be the military, the elderly in nursing homes, and people who are poor. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's unbelievable that this is and, and as Chris said, relative to chiropractic, this isn't happening behind the scenes. This is happening. You know, this is on the news. <laughs> that well, they're they're, gonna they're do already this. priming people for an ineffective vaccine. 
there have actually been articles in the popular press with the headline, first COVID vaccine may not prevent disease, but maybe, <laughs> maybe it will reduce its severity. Well, where have you heard that before? That's the BS they use to peddle flu vaccine when there's a bad match. Right. Uh, again, uh, it's it's so bizarre. And now they're saying, well, how are we going to get this to market? And I've got a a, a paper I just got from you know, where where else? JAMA, talking about hmm, informed consent eh, could be trouble. So they're saying, well, you know, one strategy they could use was making the vaccine available through the compassionate use program. You know, again, that being a way to bypass the normal safeguards. But they're saying, ooh, if we do that, we got to give informed consent. They yeah. say, well, another option is an emergency use authorization, which, of course, is only good when there's a declared emergency, which we have. And then they said, well, we think you should, but you don't have to give informed consent. You know, I think most people don't realize that informed consent is is the exception rather than the rule when it comes to vaccines you know there's a consent form uh, that that people hurriedly sign uh, that can most kindly be called uh, inadequate in describing the potential risks well and and look at what happened you know even before this probably six, eight, nine months ago when the World Health Organization came out and basically gave a list. I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what these items were, but it was a list of instances where basically you, you could get away with not giving informed consent or how to get away with not giving informed consent. Uh, and it was directed at children. Uh you know, so it, it's and, and as you said, on top of that, we're we have a national emergency. The United States is still under emergency order. All of the states are still under emergency orders. The National Guard is still called out in the state of Georgia and several other states. Right. Yeah. Uh, so these governors, through the Emergency Health Powers Act in all of these states, they are completely in charge of, you know, quote unquote, the military through the National Guard in their state. And they have carte blanche to do whatever they want to do. And and the scariest thing about all of it is just how much people are going along with it. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, to this whole vaccine strategy, because now I, I just read another paper that said it looks like the duration of immunity uh, is maybe eight weeks max, if there's any at all. Well, and they're saying, I, that might be, that, that, I wouldn't call that immunity. That might be uh, antibody production. <laughs> well, that's the other, that, no, that's the other issue. Um, when you talk about antibody production, you know, you can look at antibodies generally, but now they're trying to focus on what they call neutralizing antibodies. But there's no data to show how much neutralizing antibody you need to prevent clinical disease. So now they're saying, man, the side effects profile on, on some of these in the phase one and phase two trials are a little scary. Uh, duration of immunity, if there is any at all, isn't very long. We don't know that this is going to prevent anything. What are we going to do? Uh, so they're setting expectations low. 
Um, and boy, you know, maybe maybe you need one every uh, every eight weeks. That that'd be a good marketing ploy. Well, you know, not not wanting to get into too much of the conspiracy theory stuff, but when you look at everything that's happened over the past six months, uh, it's hard for me not to come to the conclusion that you know they the powers that be kind of screwed up with this uh, virus because it's not as bad as they thought it was going to be. You know, now we have, you know, if you look at the graph from the CDC, the death rates, I mean, they've plummeted. And now mainstream media is obviously focusing on the number of cases because testing is ramped up and that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about the death rates. Um, So, you know, I think at this point, they're scrambling to do everything they can to keep the fear going to get that vaccine out uh, and to get all this to happen when flu season hits, because then everybody's just going to be even more confused at that point. Uh, and then I think at that point, it, it, it's it, we're going to be in, in bad shape when, well, there's, when there's the fall one, comes. There was that one doctor, um, I forget what his title was in France, who said, uh, it's going to be very difficult to test this vaccine because, you know, we don't have any serious clinical cases here. The viral load is going down. Uh, the people who are infected um, are having uh, either no symptoms or, or minimal symptoms. And uh, under those circumstances, it's going to be hard to demonstrate a vaccine, even if it worked, uh, does indeed uh, reduce clinical disease. Right. So, you know, one of the things I'd love to hear you guys' opinion on this is that, you know, obviously I think the, the media is playing up <clears throat> any any deaths due to COVID. Um, and there seems to be like we're dealing with, uh, uh, how can I put it, almost like a different uh, viral agent in, in circumstances, which uh, I just interviewed uh, Dr. Zach Bush. We're, we're doing a re-release now of Vaccines Revealed because I think we have to. But um, uh, and, and I'll explain what he's what he said in a moment, but I'm interested in, uh, like, cause here's the thing. Um, I, you know, I, there was, I guess it was a new England journal of medicine article, um, that Fauci had published maybe a couple months ago. I reviewed where he was saying he and two other people, you know, doing the math and the extrapolations, et cetera. He felt like that the, uh, mortality rate for COVID-19 was I think 0.1%, uh, equivalent to a very bad flu. Um, and, in many respects, I see you know, people who are little to no symptoms whatsoever. But then I talk to, uh, and, and you know, are these people who are in the so-called risk population? But then on the East Coast, I talk to people. Uh, my uncle owns a security firm. He's got two guys who are you know, fairly fit, 47 and 52. Both die, uh, supposedly, from COVID. Um, another 38-year-old, very, very fit woman who works for a friend of mine, you know, uh, was home in her apartment, got COVID, went, you know, uh, was, you know, was just going to ride it out. Um, they find her dead. Uh, so you start to hear, and you know, about, you know, all of these cases. And then at the same time, I take my brother, who's morbidly obese. I mean, he's heavy. Uh, you know, I'm using it as a technical term, not as a uh, characterization. Um, and uh, he has had two previous strokes, small stroke. I mean, very much high blood pressure in the risk population. Only reason he figures out he has COVID is because he loses his sense of smell and taste. So, um, you know, and, and his wife, who also had a 
a little bit sicker in bed, you know, with the flu. So there seems to be such a disparity of what the experience is of people who actually experience COVID. Uh, what do you, so I guess the question is, uh, why, you know, what, what, you know, why, why such disparity? Why does it seem like it's really killing people in some circumstances and other circumstances, little to no symptoms? Well, I've seen two papers recently, indeed one from today, talking about how uh, basically making the observation you did that there's tremendous variability in the clinical presentation of this case. And uh, there does seem to be um, a vulnerable population that for whatever reason um, is, is, is going bad despite the fact that they may or may not be vulnerable. And, and conversely, there are vulnerable people uh, that, that are surviving with, with mild symptoms. And one thing that has been suggested is that there is a genetic variant that they're claiming is more infectious but less lethal. So those, those two dynamics, uh, there being genetic variation and second, there being uh, variations in susceptibility, you know, a lot of, lot of important implications to that, not the least of which is herd immunity. And uh, maybe we won't get to the paper today, but uh, we might next time. Uh, but there was a paper saying, you know, they're not looking at differences in individual vulnerability. They're using a, a one-size-fits-all mathematical right. model in assessing uh, herd immunity. And it might be as low as 10 to 20 percent, nowhere near uh, the 60, 70, 80 that others have proposed. So there's a lot going on here. And al although it sounds like a cliche, I can, I can say it uh, with absolute confidence that the wonderful thing about COVID is that if you are a healthcare professional and a, a computer whiz, a, uh, a business person, a chiropractor, whatever your professional background, chances are that your opinion is as bad as everyone else's. <laughs> yeah, uh, the only thing I'd say to that, Pat, is is, and and Chris mentioned this a couple of times, is, is the genetic piece, and and you know, going back to Dee Dee Palmer, you know, about why is one person sitting at a bench, workbench, you know, why does he get sick versus the other one? Uh, obviously, subluxation plays a role in that, but genetics also plays a role in that, and subluxation is tied into genetics as well. Um, you know, so you could have somebody who's uh, who's a triathlete and, and upper echelon and fit and does all the right things, but there's, you know, there's uh, uh, decades and centuries of genetics that went into that person. And how does that genetic uh, 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 blueprint play into, you know, uh, the coronavirus or this variant of the coronavirus, you know, which you know, when you look into just just the virus itself and, and the mutations on it uh, and how it mutated in such a way that it, it basically latches on, you know, to the cell and doesn't let go, um, you know, how does that tie into somebody's genetics? Uh, so I, I think it's great questions. Uh, but, but I think that the, you know, the over the overarching categories, you know, of risk that people who are immunocompromised and chronic disease, I mean, those are broad categories. Uh, but to think that then that means that somebody who's, you know, younger and middle aged or and who's healthy and fit 
by outward appearances and actions, uh, I don't think you can say they're not, you know, immune from it. And what what concerns me about that is that people latch onto that and say, see, that's why you got to get the vaccine. That's why you got to wear a mask. That's why you got to stay in and all of that stuff. You know, well, no, no, no question. The media is is really pumping this. In fact, uh, I had a conversation with a person the other day who said, look, you know, uh, a child died, uh, you know, uh, a, a triathlete who was extremely fit, who was 30 years old, died. And again, pumping up the hysteria, the the message being, of course, hey, you think you're you're in pretty good shape? Uh, maybe not. You're vulnerable. You better get the vaccine. Right. I, you know, I got a text this morning from a chiropractor that we insure because uh, I heard that he had tested positive, And so he reached out to me and basically said he had some symptoms for three days um, and they were mild. And at this point, he feels fine, you know, uh, and this was a young, this is a young person, fit, good shape, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff, kind of, you know, the type of person Pat described. Um, so, you know. And and I think we're seeing some of this, too, just in terms of all the positive cases out there. I mean, at this point, um, I mean, it would seem to me that at this point, this virus is has made its way through the population. You know, it's done what what a virus does and what a virus is supposed to do. It's made its way. It's touched on so many people at this point. That, you know, when you when you look at this notion of uh, of let's take a chiropractor's office, for example, that if somebody tests positive, oh, that you got to shut your practice down and you got to trace everybody and track everybody that possibly came in contact with that person and all of this stuff. I mean, you would you'd be shutting down your practice every other day. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. And and that's the same issue now that they're dealing with with kids going back to school. So, you know, teachers and administrators are starting to say, wait a second, you know, we're going to start school, but then somebody, kid is going to test positive or a teacher is going to test positive or what? We're going to stop school for a week and then two weeks, everybody's going to quarantine and we're going to come back. I mean, it doesn't, it's not, it's not structurally or functionally possible to do any of that stuff at this point because it's so widespread. The other problem, again, goes back to the testing. And I had an opportunity to listen to uh, an interview with, well, actually, a guy I know personally um, who used to be with CDC. He's he's an MD. And he said, you know, the polymerase chain reaction is designed to multiply the response. That's what it does. And uh, he said, many of these tests potentially are not very specific. And if you just have some shards of genetic material from a previous coronavirus infection, uh, think common cold, right. that can create a false positive. So uh, if these tests are as bad as they apparently are, and everyone's hanging their hat on that, that's pretty scary. But there's something that's even more so. And that is the testing protocol that's being done by by many schools and businesses uh, all over the place, which is to ask the two questions, you know, uh, have you had any symptoms, you know, describe them, and then they have the, the list, and uh, have you have been exposed to anyone you know who is positive? Uh, and then they, then they check the forehead temperature. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the question that I ask people is, uh, have you ever had a fever? 
have you ever had COVID-19? Did all the other things that cause fever go away? And if you have a fever, would you like to get checked to see if you need an adjustment? <laughs> yeah, they'll take away your license for that. I know. I know. Man, Even if it, you go through the ritual, I'll take away your license just for having the conversation. <laughs> you know, it's it's a ball of confusion, um, and I think it's you know there's uh, how can I put it? I think there's people who are earnestly trying to figure out the best thing to do, and then I think there's people with agendas and and there's profiteering, um, and uh, and it it's all just thrown together into this craziness. Uh, but I'm wondering if. I guess you know, here's a question that you guys may or may not know the answer to. So I would imagine that if there are, and I think it's known that there are different strains of COVID-19, and I, I'm assuming that some strains may be more lethal than others, but would different strains require different vaccines? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... Uh... Before this whole thing happened, uh, I, I watched, and you probably watched it too, the, the documentary on uh, Netflix. I forget the name. I think it's Pandemic is the name of the documentary. Right. Um, uh, you know, it, interesting how that came out right before all this happened. But uh, in that documentary and then in reading that I've done even after that, what what they seem to be focused on relative to vaccines related to the flu, coronavirus, and so forth, is is a catch-all vaccine. It, you know, they want to come up with a super vaccine. I forget the term they use, but it was something like a super vaccine. I think that is what that they will call it. Maybe <laughs> it is, but that will basically protect you enough from all these various strains of coronavirus uh, that are out there that are going to come up every season and that that's what, you know, they are busily working on at this point. And, and that whoever gets that first is, is going to, you know, win the prize basically. So what, what they've also been talking about with these mutations, there are several schools of thought and they completely contradict each other. But if you look under the hood, you can see why uh, there are those who are saying, Hey, the virus is stable. Uh, the DNA doesn't change much. This this bodes well for a vaccine. And others are saying, are you kidding? Uh, the genetic composition of this thing is changing like crazy. Uh, right. And then you have the weasel word, um, significance. Yeah. Uh, you know, one person said, yes, the genetics is changing, but it's not significant in terms of immunogenicity. So if you look at the vaccines that are being developed, and I don't want to go too far into this, but just touch on them. You know, one technology, of course, that's being explored is, is the old-fashioned way, uh, which is the way flu vaccines are produced, uh, you know, where you grow the virus and you um, kill it and you uh, put it in with a witch's brew of... Uh, what they call adjuvants. You know, this is where the aluminum salts and squalene oil and all of this stuff come into play to, to kind of boost the nonspecific innate immune response. So they figure you get the double whammy, you get the nonspecific response, the innate immune response, and then you also get the specific antibody response if they guessed right on the antigen. So that's one approach. The problem with that from a pragmatic standpoint is that it's hard if you don't know in advance to ramp up to manufacture the stuff because you have to grow the bug. So what they came up with is 
you know, again, it's it's kind of elegant if you want to look at it abstractly, uh, but it's sure not something I want done to me. They said, well, what's doing it? And they talk about, you know, the spike protein. And that's what Matt talked about, that thing yeah. that allows it to glom onto the cell. And uh, they're saying, if we can code for the spike protein, we don't have to worry about that other stuff. So what can we do? If we can identify a means of getting the host cell, the, the patient cell, the vaccine recipient cell, to produce the spike protein, their body will then produce antibodies to that, Ugh. and everything will be groovy. In fact, um, uh, I think it was Bill Gates who said, Ugh. basically what it does is turn the patient into a vaccine factory. Oh, my now, God. What, what Frankenstein. Can, what can possibly go wrong? So, so how do they plan to do this, by the way, is to... And certain, well, there are two types of vaccines, uh, messenger RNA and DNA-type vaccines that, that kind of focus on this mechanism. And the messenger RNA vaccines are, are kind of dominating now in the research. And what they do is they use messenger RNA to tell your cell, uh, as, as a recipient of the vaccine, to, hey, instead of doing the stuff that, you know, the innate intelligence of the body is having you do, as we might say in chiropractic. Uh, what we want you to do is to start making spike proteins, because if you make spike proteins, then you'll start making antibodies too. And if we have antibodies to the spike protein, we don't have to worry about any of this other stuff. What can possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, a lot, because when they tried this in animals, um, with other, with other agents, you know, other coronaviruses, uh, there was this nasty problem of what they call enhancement. And that's making a bad situation worse and, and creating this inflammatory response uh, that, that, that can be really bad. So, yikes. Now, they're, now they get a problem. Um, if, if they do this, and it's got a bad side effect profile initially, and when you administer it to millions of people, who knows what will come up, what will be the long-term effects, completely unknown. What happens when you commandeer the genetic mechanism of, of human cells? Nobody knows. This has never been done before. And if, again, going into their paradigm, it does cause an antibody response, uh, and the duration is at best eight weeks, yikes. And I think this is what's got them a little sphincteric right now. So in my opinion, there's a couple things they can do. One is they can try to give you another vaccine. I don't think that will sell terribly well. It just looks kind of goofy on its face. Or they can deploy this vaccine in a, in a diluted form that's not enough to produce protective antibodies, but hopefully won't have people dropping like flies. Uh, when it's administered with with adverse effects and hope for the best, um, you know, uh, they, they can kind of use the strategy that was used uh, with polio. And that is when the natural decline is mm -hmm. established, that's when you that that's when you give them vaccine. Right. And uh, you say, see, the vaccine saved us. And if the side effects profile is unfavorable, you just suspend the program and saying we don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, you know, 
Yeah, Pat, it, it, many years ago, you used to tell a story about a chiropractor who was who ran his practice basically uh, dependent on insurance and work comp and PI and that whole thing and and how uh, you know the managed care came in and and basically you know this guy was finished because he he didn't know how to get cash out of a patient couldn't okay. tell the chiropractic story um, you know and your comment um, uh, about it was you know only the subluxation will save you now you know in terms of the advice to that chiropractor, you know, and, and I think now we're at a point where, listen, it's, it's only the immune system is going to save you now, not just in terms of, of people in general and their health, but in terms of our profession, uh, you know, cause that, this is going to be the dialogue moving forward, I think for the next generation of, of people, uh, certainly, you know, uh, my kid's lifetime, uh, you know, the strength of your immune system, that's, that's as far as I'm concerned at this point, that's the only thing that matters. And, and what's so concerning is forget about outside the profession, but our own profession is putting a muzzle on chiropractors saying you can't talk about it. Yeah. It's, and this is, uh, you know, this is, there's multiple, um, layers of why this is a, a real issue. One of which is, um, you know, just from the ability to practice, not get shut down and, and an individual chiropractor, uh, you'll be able to, you have a livelihood. Uh, but the second issue, which is the wider ranging issue, which is the moral issue, is you know, this is needed as a solution to a very serious problem that people are facing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, uh, you know, to, to try to shut down access to something that is supportive to the needs of the people, I mean, literally, will cost lives. There's no way to calculate it, but it will, it will cost lives. It also, if you look like my 85 year old mother, who's in New Jersey in a hot zone, uh, you know, thank God her chiropractors stayed open and, you know, followed the protocols, you know, put a mask on one patient at a time, you know, people have to be spread out. I mean, all oh, this whole thing, but in two ways, number one, the comfort that it brought her through this whole period is extraordinary because she just felt like she now was um, safer because she had access to her chiropractor. Uh, secondly, you know, I am resolute in the knowledge um, and the position that it absolutely has, it has had a positive impact on giving her health assurance, uh, you know, uh, as compared to, uh, you know, hiding in a closet in the dark without sun, you know, we can get into that whole thing too, because what quarantine does to the immune system. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then thirdly, uh, you know, the, the fact that this, you know, that since she has confidence and we can look at the psycho psychological implications of this too, you know, uh, when people are going to a place that's positive, that is supportive, that, um, you know, gives them more confidence in their own body, we know that that also is a contributory factor to, you know, their, their health and their outcomes. So, you know, the, you know, there's just this, uh, so now it's, it's really one of these things. It's, you know, saying, okay, it's time to take a sand, but what's the level of risk that the chiropractor has to face? You know, it, it's a very fascist thing. And, and maybe there's um, a way 
Um, you know, I know in the nutrition business, for example, which is highly regulated, and when people, you know, can't make, don't, you know, they don't want you making any claims about any particular, um, you know, vitamins and what they can do, unless there's, you know, what satisfies them is evidence for it. But the the word that they allow is like you can't say this helps. I'm making it up here, but this helps your, you know, liver problems. They don't. You can't say that. You can say helps support healthy liver function. Right. So, so now is there a parallel languaging? And this is what I'd be fighting for saying, okay, well, now we're going to go against, you know, you know, all these trade organizations and say, all right, let's find languaging that everybody can live with. <laughs> this helps support, uh, you know, healthy immune function. They probably won't go for that. <laughs> so what, what is the language that can be used? It's not crossing a line that the regulators are all you know, um, you know, crazy, uh, around, but at the same time can leave a positive message to say that people should get adjusted to, to support a healthy lifestyle, you know, something to that effect. It's, it's, uh, you know, anyway, so it, it's a really challenging situation. Uh, but how do we back down? We can't back down. No. Well, and just to speak to that, because I, I don't know how much time we got left and I want to make sure we talk about, uh, give, you know, give everybody that's listening something positive because yes. um, this isn't the most uplifting topic. Um, and so what we did, the Foundation for Vertebral Subluxation, Dr. Kent and, and our team, uh, you know, listeners, you may know we have uh, a bunch of fellowship students, uh, Sherman College and, and through our network that we give uh, scholarships to, to do research and other things that the foundation's involved in. So as this was unfolding, all the stuff that we're talking about, uh, you know, we threw our hat over the wall, so to speak. Uh, on this immune issue and, and realized, well, we got to do something uh, to address this. And so we immediately began doing these scoping reviews, they're called, of the literature on chiropractic and immunity. Uh, and we've already published a number of papers on this. We published uh, three or four papers so far. The first one was the rebuttal and uh, a complete dissection uh, uh, of the WSC and ACA nonsense. Uh, you know, word for word, line by line, completely refuted it. I mean, it's really kind of ridiculous when, when you go through and see that there was no substance to what they put out. Um, so we published that, and then we published several other papers. One was basically a review of the literature on immunity and chiropractic, and this was a quick one to get it out there as quickly as possible and to be used to inform some other projects that we want to do. Uh, so we did the scoping review. We reviewed 125 uh, papers on immunity and chiropractic and biomarkers. And I'll just read part of our conclusion that I think starts to answer the question uh, that you were asking. Uh, the results of the already available research demands that we further explore the neuroimmunoregulatory effects of chiropractic adjustment and spine manipulation and it provides a starting point for doing so. While adjustments reduce pain and inflammation, they also improve immune regulatory function. How and to what extent is the subject of this current multi-pronged project? So I don't have any problem after reviewing those 125 papers and what other scientists have found 
from looking at chiropractic's effect on the immune system from saying that it improves immune regulatory function. I mean, it actually says that in their research, um, in you know the primary studies. The real question is how it does that and to what extent, and that's what we have to have to sort out. The um, one of the other papers that we put out was uh, basically a uh, a review of of uh, a multi pronged project to address these issues. Uh, so that included these scoping reviews, these papers we just put out on biomarkers and review of the literature. Um, but it also includes the development of a research protocol, and that's one of the things we're working on right now. Is is you know what should we test? What should we measure? How should we do it? And how should all of that be structured? So we're working on that, um, and at the same time, we're doing a, a what's called an integrative review of the literature on chiropractic and immunity, and you know the difference between that and the scoping review that we did is this integrative review is going to be exhaustive. We're, we're going to look at everything. We're not going to look just look at chiropractic. We're going to look at what the osteopaths have done with osteopathic manipulative therapy, with physical therapists and what they've done, all of manual therapy, and try to put it all together and see, you know, what can we really say uh, about the immune system and, and what chiropractors do? Uh, and then the other thing I want to make sure we mention is that we have just put together and just announced within the past week an immune and immunity and chiropractic conference. Uh, this is being put on uh, in conjunction with uh, Sharman College, the Center for Scholarly Activity at Sharman College, which Dr. Kent uh, is the director of. Uh, and that's taking place in October, uh, October 24th and 25th. And I just want to quickly give you the list of speakers so people know who we got coming. We have Dr. Kent that's going to talk. Uh, Jonathan Chung, if you haven't heard it, had a chance to listen to Jonathan Chung talk, um, he's an upper cervical practitioner, a really bright guy. He's going to talk about the vagus nerve, HRV, and immunity. Ian Stolman is going to talk about um, uh, immunity and chiropractic relative to the newborn uh, and even before birth. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, Amy Haas. Amy Haas is um, this a chiropractor who also has a PhD in uh, biochemistry. And, uh, you know, I've been following her and talking to her throughout this whole COVID thing. I mean, some of the insights she has into the immune system and chiropractic is just incredible. So she's going to talk about that stuff. She's also the person who is heading up the integrative review of the literature uh, and heading up this protocol that we're designing. Uh, Bill Deccan is going to bring some philosophy to the program. He's going to talk about adaptability and expression relative to the immune function and subluxation. We have Christy Kwan, who is just finishing up her master's in public health at Emory University. Uh, she's going to talk about uh, epidemiology and subluxation and tying it into the immune system. Uh, Dr. Stiles, who oversees our best practices initiative for the foundation, she's going to talk about what we're doing moving forward um, with this whole immunity issue. I'm going to talk about, you know, some of the crazy stuff I usually talk about. Uh, we have Joel Alcantara that's going to talk about salutogenesis and, and coherence relative to immunity. 
Uh, Mo Andrews, Monique Andrews, is going to talk about neurology of uh, the immune system. And then we've got uh, two uh, anatomists. We have Parkash Kumar and Terry Lancaster, who are faculty at Sherman. Uh, and they're going to talk about anatomy and physiology of the immune system and subluxation. Uh, and then we're rounding it out with Simon Senzon. The title of Simon's talk is Lies, Damn Lies, and Deniers. So his, his talk is going to be real interesting because he's going to look at what these deniers did uh, during this whole, you know, epidemic, so to speak, and, and dissect that and point out the flaws of, of some of the stuff they put out there. So we have that conference going on, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, this is going to be a live in-person conference. <laughs> so hopefully people that are itching to get out and go someplace and actually attend, uh, something after being locked uh, up for so long, uh, this is a good opportunity in October to do that. So, you know, so there's good news in that, and that we put out some good stuff already that supports what chiropractors are doing. We've got a plan to a comprehensive plan moving forward to address some of these issues. Uh, so, you know, there is bad news out there, but, you know, there's some good stuff happening as well. Well, I, I think this is very heartening in many respects. And everyone, my uh, deep appreciation to the foundation for, for doing the refuting of, uh, you know, the whole, um, I guess I'd say, denier scenario relative to chiropractic and the immune system. I think that's really important, and that's something that needs to get disseminated to the profession and every chiropractor, because with that in hand, it make, uh, you know, it helps give them more confidence to be able to take their stand. Number two, you know, the conference, I think, is uh, incredible, and the fact that a conference is occurring based on this subject within chiropractic, you know, it, it, it's what's necessary to show the um, activities within the profession that are scholarly in nature that address this subject. And uh, so that the chiropractor who, again, is practicing is, uh, you know, can point to things and participate in things that support their particular view of, of, of chiropractic. So uh, I appreciate you sharing all that and actually sharing the rundown, because I think, you know, from the content, you know, you can, you can get a sense of what this is going to be like. And the fact that uh, there is a real universe of um, information uh, supportive of the of the understanding of the, the role of chiropractic in the support of immune function. So really, really good stuff, Matt. Uh, I know our time is uh, is running uh, probably very late here, but uh, uh, Dr. Kent, any summary uh, comments? Well, as I said, this is a point in time where your patients need you now more than they ever have by all means. Remember why you get into chiropractic. Vision, passion, commitment, and technical skill. Now's the time to make the difference. Leadership is desperately needed, and you're the one that's provided. Any uh, terrific, uh, Dr. McCoy? Uh, no, I... You know, Chris said it all. I, I wanted to make sure I stress the, you know, the, the conference and what we're doing. Uh, this is a, I don't know if this is a po politics tape, but just one other uh, note on this. Uh, as this was all happening, uh, there were uh, dozens, uh, I forget the final number, I want to say it was 40-something organizations in chiropractic, national, international, and state organizations and corporations doing business in chiropractic 
all signed a letter basically rejecting the WSC and the ACA's stance. Uh, and all of that is documented. We have all those letters uh, uh, posted uh, and all those people who supported it. So literally, if you, if you understand that those organizations represent you know, tens of thousands of chiropractors, you know, you got tens of thousands of chiropractors that say, no, 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 no. Chiropractic helps uh, improve the function of the nervous system and thereby that helps improve the function of the, of the, uh, uh, of the immune system. So, uh, you know, there's good news in that. For without a doubt. So I think, like Chris said, uh, you know, your patients need you. Uh, the public needs us uh, in terms of the message that we have and the, and the care that we can provide. I mean, this is, you know, as I said before, you know, it, it's going to be all about the immune system at this point moving forward. Where can people go to get that information, Matt? Uh, they can go to two websites. We'll get you, you know, to any place else you need to go. Uh, one is for the foundation, vertebralsubluxation.org. And then the other website is vertebralsubluxationresearch.com. Beautiful. Well, um, I, I think this was a necessary conversation. Uh, you know, we're... You know, we we are in just a circumstance that there's got to be conversation, voices of reason, perspective, context. All these things become necessary. Otherwise, we're like you know, blind men running down alleys with our arms waving. Um, you know, it, it's got to get pulled together. And I, I think, you know, finally for the listener, you know, now is the time for your own look in the mirror saying, OK, what does this all mean to me and how am I going to show up? Uh, what I can tell you. Uh, from you know uh, the economic side of this is that uh, chiropractors I know who are really taking a stand on this and they're not they're not being how can I put it uh, you know they're not trying to poke anybody in the eye but they're also not staying quiet and they're also communicating very effectively internally with their patient their, their patient base community etc. But uh, their their practices are exploding right now um, and that's because of the increase need for what people um, are facing uh, to be able to deal with this. The chiropractor is really their, their best solution, best alternative. There's just no debate about it in my mind. So just decide how you're going to show up and, and go ahead and get out there. Um, and, you know, yes, maybe it's a little scary, but I think based on this conversation, maybe you feel a little bit better about the position you might take. So with Drs. Matthew McCoy and Christopher Ken, I'm Dr. Patrick Gentempo, and you've been listening to On Purpose. And always remember when you're on purpose, you are not alone. Mm-hmm.